the return of the late night boys. Welcome to the pod people, the show where people are in pods. Return of the pod. Return of the pod. I'm the great red bearded dragon, Matisse Van Rossum. And I'm uh, the tooth fairy, <laughs> Ben Sheets. And we did it. We we survived Hurricane Florence. We lost everything. We're coming at you from a raft in what remains of North Carolina. All that survived was the eight-track tape recorder that we're uh, recording this on now. And when we're finished, I'm going to wrangle a seagull and tie that tape to it and have it fly right onto the internet. Yeah, we're really innovating. Changing the game, so to say. Storm Surge, boys. We are coming at you this week with uh, a dual review of Manhunter and Red Dragon, both based on the Hannibal Lecter novel Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, or what established the character of Hannibal Lecter. We're going to do something slightly different from our norm this time, and we're going to talk about both movies at the same time, kind of, instead of uh, uh, doing one after the other, because narratively they're pretty close to identical, and both relatively faithful to their source material. So um, I don't think we really need to go one at a time. I think we'd be a little bit redundant in a lot of respects. The approaches to (laughs) what they're covering are so different. You know, Manhunter is directed by Michael Mann, who uh, I would say is one of the better American directors of all time. Did movies like Heat, Miami Vice remake, which is actually really good. He did Thief. Collateral. Collateral, which is amazing. But yeah, he's a great director. And on the flip side, uh, Red Dragon is directed by uh, Meme King Brett Radner. Yeah, who I guess is doing a biopic about Hugh Hefner starring Jared Leto. So that's guaranteed to be a train wreck. Uh, that's, that's just so sleazy. Wasn't he like Mead Tude? He was, yeah. <laughs> and he now was. he's doing a half. And the funny thing is, is that the the film was announced almost immediately after Hugh Hefner was Me Too'd. Ooh. So they were basically just like, "Oh, everybody hates Hef now. Uh, we're making a biopic." They just like doubled down. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Jared Leto is Hugh Hefner. Oof, God, that sounds like the worst movie. The AV Club, uh, whenever they post a story even tangentially related to Brett Radner, the picture they use every time is Brett Radner holding uh, this giant coffee table book called The Big Book of Butts, <laughs> and he's reading it, and behind him is just a shelf full of those books. <laughs> and I think it sums up Brett Radner better yeah, than anything I could say. Yeah, um, the the basic narrative of these two films is retired police detective Will Graham is uh, contacted by um, Jack Crawford of the FBI, his old mentor, to ask for help uh, in catching a new serial killer that they call the Tooth Fairy. 
who every full moon uh, kills a whole family and, like, puts mirrors in their eyes and shit. And um, so to do this, uh, Will Graham uh, enlists the help of Hannibal Lecter, who he put behind bars, but only after Hannibal stabbed him something nasty and almost killed him. So as we said before this is the first incarnation of Hannibal Lecter the book uh Red Dragon came out in 1981 I believe and it was followed up by Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and then Hannibal Rising all of which I read in high school and really enjoyed except for Hannibal Rising that one was kind of wonky yeah I've heard the books are really good um the first three are excellent. I could not recommend them more. Yeah. Um, well, let's start at the beginning. One of the big differences between the two films are Will Graham retired because, you know, he arrested Hannibal, but in the process, you know, was almost killed by Hannibal. Graham has some PTSD from that, essentially. Yes, which is what forced him to retire. Yeah. And uh, the two films portray this very differently. Manhunter, uh, they don't show any of the stuff with Lecter at all. In fact, they don't even mention it, really. They uh, don't even mention cannibalism, even. Um, I, yeah, I think they don't we, mention specifics of what I happened think we at see all. cannibalism in some news clippings about Hannibal or something like it's mentioned once or twice, but it's not uh, really central. Yeah. Instead, um, they focus on the PTSD of yeah. Will Graham more. He's kind of just zonked out like half awake, kind of zombified throughout the movie. And then they'll snap into moments of higher energy and high anger yeah. Um, which I thought was a really cool portrayal of PTSD um, because a lot of the moments he pushed into higher energy was when he was in a space with images or screens. Yeah. Um, a, depicting violence. Violence, usually. yeah. Or, you know, things of the case. The Brad Radner version on the flip side they directly show will catching hannibal they get in like a a very violent confrontation within well, the first a, couple minutes of the yeah, movie yeah that's how red dragon starts is with uh will graham catching hannibal it, it's sort of by accident because you know hannibal was his psychiatrist and he was sort of, like, bouncing case ideas off of him. So Hannibal was, like, a confidant. So that's another layer to the whole thing, is that, like, Hannibal was somebody that he trusted and confided in, and then it turns out he was the killer that he was hunting the whole time. So there's that dynamic as well. So they know each other very well. Um, and he, he sort of goes back to Hannibal uh, reluctantly because, like, Hannibal is obviously the main trigger of his PTSD, but he knows that his insight is invaluable. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of adds something. I think, on one hand, I like that what that added to the complexity of the character. On the other hand, I think it removed the layer <laughs> any sort of subtlety that manhunter had with the ptsd well yeah and... no the 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 story is the same but yeah i agree how they approach that is totally different 
whereas Red Dragon has, like, actual flashbacks where we see what happened. Manhunter, the only time we finally learn the circumstances behind Will Graham catching Hannibal is when he's in the grocery store with his son and he explains it to him. And it's just, like, one shot on his face the whole time as he's explaining, rather than, like, flashing back and showing us. And I think that's actually a more effective way to do it, especially because uh, William Peterson, who plays Will Graham in Manhunter, is really intense. He's got this really intense energy, even when he is kind of, like, like you said, sort of zonked out and, like, diffident he's still got that intensity. And I think that that scene in red dragon, even though it's just one shot of the character's face or uh, manhunter, sorry. Uh, even though it's just one shot of the character's face, it's much more effective than the flashback of red dragon. Yeah. In comparison in red dragon, Will Graham is played by Edward Norton. Yeah. And I mean, <sighs> Edward Norton is a great actor. I like him in a lot of things. Yeah, I do too. But I think he didn't quite do as good of a job as William Peterson. And yeah, I, I mostly so that can be put on the direction he got because I feel like, you know, he was giving it his all, but like it didn't really feel like he had PTSD in the same way no it didn't he he lacked that intensity that i was talking about with william peterson also it doesn't focus as much on him in red dragon as it does in manhunter in manhunter like will graham is very much like the central character and we get much more development with him than we do with like hannibal lecter or francis dollarhide whereas in red dragon it's kind of divided between the three and i like that in the respect that we get more insight into francis dollarhide in red dragon but a lot of the will graham stuff feels like an afterthought kind of i like the focus that manhunter brought to it um i think one of the big things especially with the hannibal stuff is we're looking at a pre- and post-Silence of the Lambs interpretation of Red Dragon. Yeah. So, like, Manhunter, you know, is pre-Silence of the Lambs. It was Hannibal in 86, Lector. like, five years after the yeah, book came out. Yeah, it was out. before Hannibal Lecter was a household name. And so, in Manhunter, Hannibal Lecter is in, like, what, like, nine minutes of the movie? Yeah, like two or three scenes. Yeah, he has very minimal... He has a very small role. Uh, it's kind of a pivotal role. Yeah, it's um, important, but it's not about him. Yeah, it's not about him. It's very understated, to say the least. Brian Cox plays Hannibal in Manhunter, and he does it in a very mundane manner, almost. Uh, it feels very everyday. Which I actually like because, you know, it kind of hits a good juxtaposition between the things he does and kind of the deviousness of the character. Yeah, uh, Brian Cox has said that Michael Mann told him to play the character like an English schoolboy. So he based his performance on like his 15-year-old son at the time or something like that. 
Whereas in Red Dragon, which came out in 2002, 10 years after Silence of the Lambs, and we got uh, the Hannibal film in between, it's very much Anthony Hopkins doing the same Hannibal shtick, like doing it really dramatically. Down to I mean, a which is, T. Which is like, don't get me wrong, like, Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter. He does a great Hannibal Lecter, but in Red Dragon, it is just like, okay, this is a character that we're familiar with and that we know, and he has something like 25 minutes of screen time in Red Dragon. There's multiple scenes of Will Graham going back to him, where in Manhunter, the two of them are only in one scene together, and then the other two Hannibal scenes are without Will Graham. Yeah, and I would also argue that Hannibal feels a little more threatening in Manhunter than he does in Red Dragon. And the reason I say that is in Manhunter, he's played in such an understated manner that it's almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing where you don't expect it and it becomes creepier and more imposing because of that. Whereas in... Red Dragon, Anthony Hopkins does a great job, but the reason why Hannibal Lecter is so imposing in Silence of the Lambs is because he's super unpredictable and he actually does stuff. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, Hannibal is, you know, he's still imposing, but he's in a cell the whole time. Well, the know? and the introductory scene with him in Red Dragon is shot almost the exact same way that Clarice Starling's is in uh, Silence of the Lambs, like, down to the, like, getting closer to their faces and the shot reverse shot. Like, it's almost identical. And the dialogue in that scene is actually also almost identical in Red Dragon between the two of them. And I'm pretty sure they pulled that straight from the book. I haven't read those books since high school, but I'm I'm pretty sure that dialogue is straight from the source material. It would make sense for both those movies yeah. to pull that then. Um, it just it felt so fan servicey and yeah, which it, I had never really noticed before. It's it, been a long it time. It kind of since removes I've seen Red the tension of the Hannibal character in Red Dragon because he becomes that oh that iconic character more than this is a very threatening, scary character. Right. You know? I I wonder what audiences thought of that character in Manhunter when it first came out pre, like you said, Hannibal Lecter being a household name. Like, we obviously weren't alive in 86 when this came out, so we can only look at this with the hindsight of knowing the character Hannibal Lecter as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins. Well, that's the thing, too. I think... A lot of people wouldn't even have thought of it too much. He's yeah, only in such a so. short amount of the movie um, that, like, while he does a great job and is very uh, threatening, he's, thing, ki- he's, he's kind not of an the afterthought. Focus. Yeah, he's yeah. not the focus of the movie at all. From what I've read, I think he's only Hannibal Lecter is only in like twelve pages or so of the original book. Um, of course, he's referenced a little bit more than that, but like, 
so I think it's a little, it's somewhat accurate to the book in terms of amount of time yeah. he's portrayed. Well, I mean, when they made but... Manhunter, they would have only had that one book as reference, too, because Silence of the Lambs, the novel, wasn't even written until 88, two years after Manhunter came out. I do think it's interesting that apparently David Lynch was first attached to direct Manhunter. I think that would have been really interesting to see a Lynch Lynchian version of It would this. have been way more surreal, for sure, because that was like... That was David Lynch in, like, his peak in the mid-'80s. It would have been, like, a proto-Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know, that was that was in, like, the Elephant Man and Blue Velvet era of Lynch. And I, I honestly would love to see Manhunter as directed by David Lynch. I think it would be really interesting. But he, he dropped out for some reason. I can't remember exactly why. And apparently Dino De Laurentiis in uh, sort of like a, a panic to find a new director for this movie picked Michael Mann because his last name sounded like the title, <laughs> <laughs> which is a really weird way to choose a director for a movie but worked out because michael mann is a really good director <laughs> i find that really funny i i think just the idea of hey uh i know a director uh we're, uh, we're, we're making manhunter uh what about uh what about this michael mann guy uh <laughs> he he could do manhunter you know man manhunter get him on the phone <laughs> To coked out Dino Taylor and um, no, I that story is great though. I I think Lynch would do a great job with this material, but I I really do like what Michael Mann brought to the table with it because I think his pairing of these kind of neon flourishes with a very grounded realism works really well for the material. Yeah, I liked it a lot, too, especially in the nighttime scenes at Will Graham's house in Florida. Like, it took me a while to figure out whether, like, because it's so, like, saturated blue, I couldn't tell if they were doing, like, day for night with, like, a, a blue filter on the film in uh, post, or whether it was just blue neon, and I guess it was blue neon, but, like, it's so stylized as compared to Red Dragon. Like, Brett Ratner shot that very much, like, standard early 2000s, like, Hollywood action drama. You know, I mean, it's it, it looks fine. It's not badly shot or anything, but there's very little style to it, I think, in a lot of the scenes. Um, you know, some are more stylistic than others, but as compared to, like, Michael Mann's, uh, you know, direction, there's there's many more, uh, like, characteristic flourishes that I think make Red Dragon, or uh, Manhunter, stand out more so than Red Dragon. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's interesting because while it does have those very pastel-y bright flourishes in terms of color in Manhunter. Uh, the way it's shot is almost clinical at times. Which I think is appropriate for yeah. for uh, an investigation-based uh, police drama. Yeah, I think so as well. 
Um, but in comparison, Red Dragon is kind of ugly in comparison, but it's very movement oriented you have lots of moving cameras lots of yeah it's a lot grimier that's for yeah. sure um but i that's also i think uh, a product of the decades that these movies were made in where you have the 80s which has a lot of neon and hyper stylization and then like the early 2000s where everything had to look gross which is something that we're still kind of in to different extents but and then, you know it, it works for some films over others but Manhunter is definitely nicer to look at than Red Dragon, that's for sure. One of the uh, characters that I did like a little bit better in uh, Red Dragon, and this is probably just the acting, is uh, the uh, journalist that Dollar Hyde abducts. Oh yeah, Freddie Lowndes. <clears throat> yeah, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays him in... Red Dragon, and he does a really fantastic job. I mean, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, so like... Yeah, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. I will say that I think in Manhunter, he does seem a little bit more like a sleazy, gotta get the scoop tabloid journalist. Yeah, well, and I the in Manhunter, I love the recording Dollar Hyde gets of the journalist under distress uh reading the note yeah because he sounds like like the way he emphasizes at like every word while reading just sounds like he's he's so worried while he's saying this he's such well, under such duress the thing is too is in manhunter we don't see him recording that yeah we only hear it right whereas in red dragon that scene carries through with dollar hyde like actually holding the tape recorder in front of philip seymour hoffman's mouth and having him read it there whereas we have him hold up the recorder to Freddie Lowndes and Manhunter, but we don't hear what he's saying. It just cuts to the next part when uh, Dollar Hyde like bites his lips off. So, and then we hear the recording in the next scene as they're listening to it uh, in in the the police station or whatever. And I think that that is is much more effective. Since that's kind of a segue into the Francis Dollar Hyde character, let's talk about him some. Um, sure. Well, his M.O. in the movie, or kind of his signature thing with his kills, are he sticks, like, little pieces of mirrors in people's eyes so he can see himself. Yeah, he he has a, a, a hair lip, so he's uh, very self-conscious about his appearance. When he kills people, he feels powerful, so he wants to see himself as powerful in their eyes, hence the mirrors. Uh, He always targets uh, women specifically, but he kills the whole family as sort of an incidental thing. In uh, Manhunter, he's played by Tom Noonan, and in Red Dragon, he's played by Ray Fiennes, Voldemort, (laughs) (laughs) but with a nose. They give very different portrayals, I think. And I think they're both good 
in different ways. Yeah, I would agree. We we know that this character was abused at an early age. We learn more about that in Red Dragon than we do in Manhunter. And he is uh he believes that he's changing, that he's becoming something greater. He's obsessed with the the William Blake painting, uh The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed with the Sun, I think is what it's called. It's a fucking awesome painting. Uh William Blake shit is next level so he you know he's sort of undergoing like a metamorphosis much like buffalo bill in silence of the lambs uh so that's sort of what drives him to become something greater and more powerful than he is which is a really cool angle and we get much more development in that in red dragon like the scene where he wants to stop killing and he thinks the only way that he can do so is to go to the museum where they have the original of that painting and eat it, <laughs> which is is in the book. Uh, that's something that is not in Manhunter, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I really like that scene in Red Dragon where he smooth talks his way into seeing it and then just starts tearing it and shoving it into his mouth. <laughs> it's really it's really corny. You know, so you've you've got this interesting villain, but yet again difference in approach in Manhunter, he doesn't even have an appearance in person until like 59 minutes into the movie or something like that, so fully halfway through the movie. Whereas in Red Dragon, we see him for the first time in like the first 20 minutes or so, I guess. Yeah, I think he's shown a little earlier in Red Dragon. Um, I like how long they wait to show him in Manhunter. I think it adds a bit of tension. Well, yeah, because we see obviously Will Graham investigating his crime scenes and like trying to put together a profile. So in that sense, in Manhunter, you know, you're sort of learning everything about this killer at the same rate that the protagonist is. Whereas in Red Dragon, you as the audience get to see more than the people investigating see. I, I like the the subtlety of that in Manhunter better, but I will say that I like the further development into that character in Red Dragon, that he's more of a focus. I like the humanization in Red Dragon a lot. I think the whole sequence with him and the blind woman is done much better in Manhunter. In my opinion, which um, which one in particular? The the blind woman, where you know he goes on a date with her, takes her to oh, when he takes her to feel the tiger. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, they're together in multiple scenes, so I didn't yeah. know which scene you were talking about specifically. Um, yeah, he he falls in love with this blind woman who works uh, at the place he does. He works for a company that like cuts up home videos and turns them into these really corny, like, I don't even know what. Custom. Like, custom home video compilation videos and shit like that. Yeah. Um, 
so he falls in love with this blind woman uh, who he likes because she can't see him, uh, you know, in his his insecurity about his uh, his face and stuff. So there's some really cool things with that in both movies, like him having her over and watching videotapes of like him trying to pick his next victim while she's in the room, but she obviously can't see it. So there's, uh, uh yeah. At the same time, I, I in Red Dragon, it's kind of dumb because in Manhunter, uh, he meets her in the developing room, uh, where they, you know, it's a dark room where they develop film. You know, it makes sense because he watches reels at his house and stuff like that. In Red Dragon, he also meets her in a dark room, but everything is on VHS. Oh, yeah, you're so, right. So I don't know why you would need a dark room. Yeah, but... they would be sending these tapes to these people already developed because it's on VHS. Oh. I mean, maybe the company deals with more than just VHS, but you're right. I didn't even think about that. That definitely makes yeah. more sense in Man Well, Hunter. And on, in addition to that, I think some of the tension of that scene where he's watching the clips is uh, just the sound of the, the projector running. Yeah. And it's kind of flattened out by nothingness with the vhs well yeah and also in red dragon while he's watching it uh emily watson starts giving him a hand job or a blow job yeah so that that kind of uh underplays that scene for me a little yeah. bit too i also thought it was interesting that in manhunter like he lives in a house on a lake but it's like a very normal looking house and then in Red Dragon, he lives in this, like, old nursing home that was owned by his grandmother, and it's all, like, run down, and it looks like a haunted house, and it just seems a little bit cornier than in Manhunter, yeah. especially because it's like, oh, the serial killer, he has to, he has to live in a really weird, creepy, gross place. Whereas, like, that's not usually the case. That works much better in Silence of the Lambs just because of the way they approach it and, like, who Buffalo Bill is yeah, as a I character. Yeah, I think it works. Well, and I think that's a result of Silence of the Lambs. I think Radner was pulling directly as much as he could from what he knew was successful <laughs> rather than, you know, trying to make a more faithful adaptation or even, like, dissect the characters in any meaningful way yeah um and that really shows going off of that i want to get into the music a little bit because i think yes. in in manhunter when they're in the apartment there's an awesome scene uh synced up to indigata davida um where he's getting ready to kill the blind girl. I thought that scene was awesomely Yeah, he turned yeah. he turns on the stereo and cranks up the volume so she can't hear where he is. Yeah. And that carries over into the climax when Will Graham shows up to save the day. And I just think Indigata Davida is such an awesome song to use for that cuz it's it's one of those like late 60s early 70s psych rock songs where it feels almost menacing in terms of you know its length and like its emotion i i agree with that 
I will say that was one of the few moments in Manhunter where the soundtrack worked for me because as a mid-80s movie, this is just chock full of like 80s synth pop power ballads. I loved it. Oh, it's so I could not fucking take it seriously. It's the fucking lyrics. It's I'm so used to films having original scores more so than soundtracks at this point that in a lot of the scenes in Manhunter having like these 80s songs with these really ridiculous power ballad lyrics that are basically describing what the characters are feeling it. It's just so corny. Man, to me. it worked for me because Manhunter aesthetically is such a an eighties movie with its pastel color palette and uh approach even. Um Yeah, but, but you could still have that without the corny music though. I, I think the music was good though. I, I like the uh, music. I don't know. It didn't, I like the music though. I I don't know, man. It I, didn't do it for me. Strokes in, and all. In a but. less in a less serious film, I wouldn't have minded it, but I just felt like it brought down the tension in some scenes. Yeah. I, See, I feel I feel that way with Manhunter, with the Danny Elfman. Oh, with score. Red Dragon. Red Dragon. I don't know. Red Dragon has a Danny Elfman score, and all Danny Elfman scores sound kind of the same. But also, like in Red Dragon, it's very obvious that Danny Elfman was trying really hard to mimic Howard Shore's score from Silence of the Lambs. Which is a great score and suits the film really well, but, you know, once again, it just sort of tied in with Red Dragon's whole aesthetic of trying really hard to be Silence of the Lambs too. But it was it was less distracting. It was it was it was definitely less distracting. It definitely fell into the background to the point where you barely notice it. But Which for me, like, I'll take a mediocre score that I don't pay any attention to over a soundtrack that is distracting. Not that I'm a big fan of Danny Elfman scores in general, but it was less offensive to me in Red Dragon than the the soundtrack in Manhunter. I think when there was original music in Manhunter, it fit much better, but it was just like... At a certain point, it was just like every scene just had this ridiculous soundtrack, and it was so distracting for me. I think there's times when it worked so well, though. It worked really well with Inagata DeVita. Inagata DeVita was great. I thought the song they had with the tiger was really good, really added to... The aesthetic and the tone. I can forgive well, the I can forgive the tiger scene a little bit more too, just because it's like almost sort of a schlocky romantic scene. So I thought, yeah, I thought even the scene where Dollar Hyde is watching her uh, go home and he imagines her making out with the dude that he 
she meets up with. I thought that worked well, too. Uh, I will agree less on that one. but uh, And I thought the ending song worked really well. Oh, man, with the freeze frame as the credits yeah. rolled. That was so fucking 80s. It was, but it worked for me. I don't know. I guess we can sort of talk about the climaxes of these two movies, because I think that's probably where they differ most from a uh, narrative standpoint. Red Dragon is much closer to the novel in the sense that Dollarhide decides to not kill the blind girl and instead kill himself, and he sets the house on fire while they're in there, and he fakes his death, and then later shows up at Will Graham's house because Hannibal Lecter gave him the address, and they have sort of a standoff, whereas in Manhunter, Will Graham shows up at the house before... Dollar Hyde can kill the blind girl, uh, and they have a shootout. I don't know if the editor in Manhunter, like, was under, like, a really serious time constraint and just did a shitload of cocaine to get him through editing that last part, but something in the editing goes really, really off the fucking wall in that last scene in Manhunter. See, I, I've been thinking about it this whole week because there are a lot of jump cuts. A shitload! In that sequence. Where there I are no jump wonder, cuts in the rest of the movie. I almost wonder if it's intentional, though. To what end, though? Because it was similar to the music in the rest of the movie. It was distracting. It, I mean, in a funny way, like... I I was laughing through a good chunk of that scene because of how weird and off kilter the editing was, but I that I don't think making the audience laugh would have been the point. No, I th- I think it adds a little bit of unpredictable energy to it. It is if unpredictable. Anything. Just like when they pull up to the house and the one cop car just crashes into the ditch. Yeah, that Just was weird. I will, in, I'll, I will give you that. That was really inexplicably. Weird. It took me so by surprise that I just started cracking up like for way longer than I expected. Just because one cop car just goes flying past the other one and right into the ditch and just wrecks. It's like what the fuck. And then from there, it just gets so frenetic in a weird way. I don't think it's bad, but it was definitely schlocky. Like, it it was weird in a funny way. I want to believe that Michael Mann had some intent behind that. I mean, I would hope so. I just don't know what the intention was. It, it does feel a little disjointed and all over the place. Because, um, I mean, the, the rest of the film is so clinical and precise like to the point of in their first meeting like in the shot reverse shot between will graham and hannibal lecter they position the camera so that the bars that they're talking between don't even move like there is that level of precision it's in the editing. It's not the way it, yeah. that that last well, scene I mean, was shot, which makes me wonder if, like, like okay, here's the dailies. You have until 
like you have six hours to get this shit edited well, and I the almost, editor was just like fuck i almost feel like you explained it in how you said it right there you know like all of the scenes before that without violence are very clinical and then when we do experience actual violence it's very frenetic, off kilter, and all over the place and wild. I agree. And in a way, we we see this movie through the perspective of Will Graham, and when the editing style through most of the movie is zonked out, you know, and very clinical and sterile. I mean, I I agree. There needs to be, uh, you know, an increase in visual intensity to uh, correspond with like what's happening in the scene. But then you've got shit like the really long slow motion shot of Will Graham running at the window that he's about to crash through that just goes on for such a long time. And immediately as he crashes through the window, he gets shot. (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah, it is. It is funny. I'll give you that. It's really, really funny because it's so fucking corny. And I don't know. It's just, it's confusing to me because it seems so out of place with the rest of the movie i don't know i i don't dislike it because like i said it makes me laugh but at the same time it feels too corny for the tone of the rest of the film aside from the music i don't know i i i agree that it feels off i wonder if it's just that it's aged badly that could be it i don't like using that excuse because if it's good it'll hold up but in a way 86 was a different time man yeah in a way I, i feel like some of that off kilter stuff would have made more of an impact when we're not inundated in such a fast-paced media environment. That's true. As we are currently, so... I don't know. Well, in comparison, in Red Dragon, the climactic scene is... It does have a similarly funny moment, yeah, but for a different reason. Yeah, very similarly funny. It might be the only uh, movie in which... Uh, the hero saves the day by yelling homophobic slurs <laughs> at his at their at son his child. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dollar Hyde uh, grabs Will Graham's son and has a big shard of broken mirror to his throat, and to defuse the situation, or rather to enrage Dollar Hyde enough to get him to forget about the son, Will Graham sees that his son has uh, peed himself and remembers seeing in Dollar Hyde's journal that when he was little, his grandmother threatened to cut off his dick after he uh, wet the bed. So he starts uh, calling his son like a disgusting little beast, say, do you want me to cut it off? Stuff that Dollar Hyde recognizes. But he also calls his son a little faggot, which is incredibly jarring uh, in a very, very funny way. And I mean, I guess it works in getting Dollar Hyde off of his son, but I'll never not be able to see... Edward Norton uh, calling a child a little faggot. Yeah, and once again, like, 
Only in a Brett Ratner Only movie in a Brett Ratner would movie. the hero save the day by calling their son a faggot. Because, see, the thing is, I can't remember if that happens in the book. I know in the book it does play out the same way with Dollarhide taking his son hostage and Will Graham enraging him enough to, you know, attack will instead of the kid but i can't remember if thomas harris wrote will graham calling his kid a faggot and that's gonna drive me crazy because it does seem like such a fucking brett ratner thing to do i'm sure that's his it's gotta be it's gotta be a brett ratner thing yeah but i can't say for sure it's hard to say i I think I like the climax in Red Dragon a little bit more than in Manhunter, just in the sense that in Manhunter it just ends with Will Graham shooting him in the head, and it doesn't have that added element of them thinking like, oh, you know, we saved the day, it's safe, and then Dollarhide shows back up and, you know, attacks Will Graham in his home. Like, I I like that aspect of Red Dragon a lot. Yeah, it's... It's appropriately schlocky for a very schlocky film, I think, in Red Dragon, you know? It well, gets I don't a, know if I'd call Red Dragon schlocky. I absolutely would, It, especially in comparison to Manhunter. I, I, I want to say schlocky because, it you know, it pulls so much directly from Silence of the Lambs. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely aping it, but I... I definitely goes broader strokes for sure i i agree with that but i think especially in the climax manhunter gets a lot schlockier than than red dragon i think red dragon plays it more close to the chest it's not very original in a lot of its approach and it is very obviously aping silence of the lambs the, the to the point of being corny in at times red dragon was pretty schlocky though too like him like Telling his wife to duck so they can shoot each, shoot each other, other through the door. Yeah, that was that was kind of schlocky. I mean, a little bit, but nowhere near as schlocky as that cop car crashing into the ditch <laughs> or William Peterson slow mo running through a window and getting shot immediately. Yeah, that is yeah, way that is, way schlockier. That is very true. But uh, you know, overall. Two films that take a very, very different approach to the same story and obviously have uh, very different contextual backgrounds to play from. Um, I I enjoy both movies for different reasons. Um, I don't think either of them are bad films by any means, it's hard to compare them in a lot of ways because their approach is so different that in a lot of ways they're very, very separate entities, I think. I think the fact that Silence of the Lambs was, you know, in between them kind of dictated a lot of the changes. Absolutely. Some of that is good, some of that is bad. I would say more of it is bad than good, um, only because Brett Radner is a hack who was mostly trying to ape Silence of the Lambs directly. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Uh, he's extremely hacky, and Red Dragon does feel 
it's it's hackier than it is schlocky. I think that that's the important distinction. To lead us into ratings, I want to do just a little bit of uh, straightforward comparison to sort of lead us up to overall conclusion. Who is the better Will Graham for you, William Peterson or Edward Norton? Oh, William Peterson. 100%. Yeah, I, I think I would. I think I would agree with you. I like Edward Norton, but I think he's extremely underutilized in this movie, and also as a character, much less satisfyingly developed than yeah. uh, than uh, Will Graham in Manhunter. I think the PTSD was much better yeah. done in Manhunter. I agree. Well. Um, who's the better Hannibal Lecter, Brian Cox or Anthony Hopkins? You know, I'm actually going to say Brian Cox, and I'm only going to say it because I feel like Anthony Hopkins wasn't really given much to work with outside of what he's already done in Silence of the Lambs. He didn't really do anything new with the character, and that's not his fault. That's Brett Radner's fault. That's the writer's um, fault. Yeah. Um, I will agree with that, but I think I'm going to have to give it to Anthony Hopkins still just because... I will never not be able to associate Hannibal Lecter with Anthony Hopkins. He's made the character so iconic that even though he's basically doing the same shit that he was in Silence of the Lambs, I still just associate him with Hannibal Lecter. It's definitely engrossing. Yeah, he's not. So I think I'm going to I'm going to have to give that to Anthony Hopkins. Um, okay, who's the better Francis Dollarhide, Tom Noonan or uh, Ray Fiennes? Mm, this is the tough one for me. This is the hard one for me, too. I'm going to have to go with Tom Noonan um, just because – and again, I keep falling back to this, but I think the difference in all three of these are the direction these people are given to work with. And I think uh, Ray Fiennes does a great job, but he he's not really given as much to work with um, in terms of complexity and details as uh, Tom Noonan is. It's very close, though. It's the closest of the three. Yeah, I I will say that I think the character of Francis Dollarhide is better in Red Dragon. But I'm also going to have to give it to Tom Noonan. I I think that he feels more like the character, and he's creepier than Ray Fiennes. I, I think Ray Fiennes is a good actor, and once again, I think he's doing his best with what he's given, but he comes across as a cornier character that I think you take slightly less seriously than Tom Noonan. I think Tom Noonan is much more menacing, even though he spends the whole movie wearing very high-waisted pants. I will also say, and maybe this is a hot take, but I tend to find in serial killer movies like this that having unknowns or, you know, at least semi-unknowns, not household names, work better in those characters than household names. Um, Just because I think household names, even Ray Fiennes, to an extent, have to do so much more 
to distinguish themselves from the household name that people I know suppose them as. that's true that being said red dragon was pre harry potter that's true but ray so, fines was still a big name even back then he he was definitely but i would say he was really big for shit like schindler's list i mean granted a lot of people have seen schindler's list but definitely not as much of a household name as he was post voldemort but that being said i will agree with you he's way more well known than tom noonan was um who is the better freddie lounds philip seymour hoffman or stephen lang you know i think i'm i've come full circle i i think manhunter's Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang uh, did a better job. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in Red Dragon, but I think I'm just a a broken record at this point. Direction makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, now I I'm gonna say Stephen Lang as well. I like I said before, he gives much more of a sleazy tabloid journalist vibe than Philip Seymour Hoffman does. Philip Seymour Hoffman's great. Uh, can't say anything bad about him, but uh, the character feels scuzzier in uh, Manhunter than in Red Dragon, and I like that for the for the character that he's supposed to be. And last one, who is the better Reba McClain, the blind girl, uh, Joan Allen in Manhunter or uh, Emily Watson in Red Dragon? I'm actually going to say Emily Watson for this one. I think uh, she was a little better in the role. I don't know. It's tough because I feel like she's given less to work with. But the fact that she did just as well uh, says a lot, I think. I'm actually going to say Joan Allen for this one just because I think she does a better job of being less helpless, I guess, which I think is more necessary for the character because such a big part of Reba's character is that even though she's blind, she doesn't think of herself as different, nor does she want other people to think of her as different. And she is very much about, like, not taking charity and help from other people so she she seems to be more self-assured in manhunter or joan allen does whereas emily watson seems more timid and helpless at times maybe that's just because there is more of her character in red dragon than in manhunter but uh, I, I think I like Joan Allen better. Yeah, I think that was hacky directing, too, though. Yeah, no, that, that's true. There's definitely something to be said for Michael Mann versus Brett Ratner. I don't think we need to oh, ask no, no, who, no. who's the better director. Uh, it's definitely Michael Mann. Um, but, yeah, okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and rate these. Uh, we'll so, s- start with Manhunter. Sure. Uh, I think this is a fantastic movie. Uh, Manhunter does a great job exploring Will Graham and his PTSD, exploring the journey that he has 
through the dollar hide case as he kind of deals with his PTSD, but also starts to overcome it in a lot of ways. And it's matched with such a great, great aesthetic of uh, very pastel neons and very stylized lighting. That being said, it's shot very clinically which uh, works really well. I thought the soundtrack was actually really good, in my opinion. All the actors do a great job. Uh, They're very understated. Yeah, I think this is just a fantastic movie. I would absolutely recommend it. I'm going to give it a a 4.5 out of 5. Yeah, I I really liked this movie a lot, too. Um, It was my first time seeing it, and there were obviously hurdles to get through uh having Hannibal Lecter be played by somebody other than Anthony Hopkins I I really like the pacing of the movie um how it sort of plays out uh very much from Will Graham's perspective before we start to see more in the latter half from different perspectives uh Michael Mann's direction is great it looks really good uh I like the stylization um, it's a solid 80s crime thriller. The soundtrack really does not work for me. Uh, and the climax is, is kind of baffling in how tonally different it is from the rest of the movie. But overall, I would still say this is a very good film and would recommend it. And I'm going to give it a four out of five pods. So that gives Manhunter uh, a rounded up average of 4.3 out of 5 pods. Um, And uh, what would you rate Red Dragon? Uh, Well, Red Dragon is a broad, dumb, fun version of Manhunter in a lot of ways. Um, In terms of narrative, it's very similar, but it takes all of the core of Manhunter and makes it look almost abstract in its subtlety in comparison um, because uh, Red Dragon explains everything to you yes. um, directly. Um, and uh, while it's fun and fast-paced and Anthony Hopkins does a great job, I think it misses a lot of the point of what red uh the story of red dragon was trying to do um and some of like the core ethos of manhunter instead it tries to just blatantly take a lot of the elements of what made silence of the lambs what it was and just copy and i feel like since it doesn't try to do its own thing quite enough it suffers because of that um it's still an enjoyable movie it's fun but i was hoping for more i guess i would give this movie a three out of five it's a good movie but if i were to recommend either one i would recommend manhunter for sure red dragon is uh very hacky in its mimicry of Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I think the proper approach to this movie would have been to uh, try to do something different in the same world rather than just repeat what made Silence of the Lambs so good. 
um, which is what Ridley Scott did with Hannibal a couple of years prior, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on the show. But he did something different, and it doesn't feel like a cheap knockoff of Silence of the Lambs. That being said, uh, this is still a well-done, competent Hollywood crime drama. Brett Ratner is a hack. We all know this, but the cast is good. I mean, Ed Norton, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Ray Fiennes, Emily Watson, like, these are all good actors. I, I think, if anything, its lack of originality and its approach just makes it more forgettable than anything else. But overall, a still well-done, enjoyable enough film. Um, I don't dislike this movie. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a uh, three and a half out of five pods. I do appreciate some of its uh, expanded exploration into certain characters that uh, Manhunter did not really provide. Overall, uh, a a solid film. Um, So that'll be an average of 3.3 out of five pods for Red Dragon. Next week, it's finally here. It's arrived the moment we've all been waiting for, The Predator. It's out, it's in theaters, we're gonna go see it, and we're gonna talk about it on the show. Go see Predator in preparation. I'm excited. I hope it's good. (laughs) I hope it's good, too. I don't see any reason it shouldn't be. I've been avoiding any reviews or anything about it. Um, I trust Shane Black, though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I trust Shane Black. He's never never done me wrong. this one look fucking awesome. They're metal as fuck, dude. I know. I want, like, all of the Predator posters. I'm just expecting a fun, dumb action movie uh, that's what Shane Black does so well. And you know what? Not even dumb. I retract that. I'm looking for a fun action movie. His last film, The Nice Guys, I thought was great. Yeah, I thought I it loved, was great. I loved The Nice Guys. I love the Lethal Weapon movies. Like, I am a sucker for Shane Black. Yeah. So I'm... The first Predator is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going into this excited. Um, and hopefully... I won't be let down. So if you're excited for The Predator, go see it this week and check back with us next week to hear our thoughts on it. Um, Should be very exciting. If you like the show, be sure to take a few seconds out of your day to leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you might listen to the show. Um, follow us on social media or, you know what? Fuck it. Follow us on Twitter. I've kind of given up on Facebook at this point. We don't get shit on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Sorry, grandma. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Uh, follow us on Twitter at pod people pod. Um, let us know if you've seen red dragon and or manhunter, your thoughts on those, um, which of the actors do you think were better in each role? Play our comparison game with us. Um, tell us about how excited or not excited you are for the Predator. You know, get at us. Um, you can also send us an email, podpeoplepod at gmail.com. Check out our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash podpeoplepod. Uh, see a list of all of the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Um, And, yeah, talk to us about 
whatever. Stay greasy. Send us uh, send us money for our Hurricane Florence disaster relief. Or don't actually send us money. We're fine. If you're going to donate, send it to the American Red Cross or something. Um, there are people who were hit pretty fucking bad in North Carolina, despite the jokes we make. So Yeah, uh, I mean... You could Venmo me if you wanted to, but <laughs> send your, you, send your money to better to, causes. Better to send it to Wilmington. Yeah, send it to Wilmington, and uh, but yeah. when I go to Wilmington, I'll let you know so you can Venmo me then. Yeah, we're gonna need a dinghy to get there. <laughs> send us money for our dinghy. Um, well, thank you as always for listening. Check back next week for our thoughts on the new Predator film. Um, and until next time, keep it sleazy.